0: Today, we're going to be in the 25th chapter of Exodus, verses 23 to 40. We'll also be a little bit in Exodus 27 and a little bit in Exodus 35, but I'm just going to read the passage from Exodus 25, 23 to 40. This is the word of the Lord. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which you pour drink with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of Hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch so for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with with it under each pair of the six branches going out of the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And you shall make seven lamps for it, And the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. It's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat.
1: Human beings are obsessed with life. I mean, I know in ours, a culture like ours, which is increasingly revealing itself to be a culture of death, wherein the unborn, the elderly, the sick, the disabled, and the dying are being marginalized, seen as obstacles and expendable. Yes, even ours is a culture that is still obsessed with life. People value life, maybe not the life of others always, but their own. We want to live. We search for life. I mean, every day people do silly things like eating, wearing seat belts. They don't like it when they get oxygen cut off from them. They want to stay alive. There's a preoccupation with it. Throughout the years, there have been people who have searched for the mythical fountain of youth so as to prolong their life, or the holy grail so as to, to, to heal them or to give them everlasting life. Or in our modern society, we want innovative technology and modern medicine that can prolong or, or, or preserve our life or prevent death or to improve our lives. This obsession with life <clears throat> comes from two sources. One is the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were in the presence of God, and he said, "'Don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die.'" stop living. And that day, death entered in when they sinned. They fell into death. In all of their posterity, everybody who had come from Adam and Eve has been subject to death. And through fear of death, the writer of Hebrews says, people have been subjected to lifelong slavery to Satan because they're afraid of death. They're afraid of no longer living. Partly because they have a hopeless view of death. That life is fragile. There are so many things that could end our lives today that we really have no control over. And even if we want to try and hold on to the illusion, we know it's not true. For life is fragile, but death is permanent. And, and, And so many people look at death as the end and they see no hope of life after that. And so they are desperately searching to try to find something to hold on to life. But there's another more positive source for the reason for our preoccupation with staying alive and improving our life. And that source is God himself. God made us with a built-in desire to live. We have a hunger for life. I mean, even the truly suicidal just want what? What do they want? A better life. They want to escape a bad life so that they can get a better life life. God is the living God who creates all living things. Anything and everything and everyone that is alive, God has made them so and He sustains them as so. God has life in Himself, it says in John 5. He is life itself. So that He, was, that he has made us in His image, It's fitting then that we would desire to live. That we would search constantly to stay alive. Our problem then, you see, is not that we desire to live and we search for life. Our problem comes when we search for life outside of God. Our problem comes when we foolishly think that there is any life outside of Jesus Christ. Our problem comes when we fail to believe that life exists in God alone. It comes from Him and is found in Him. Today, as Pastor Steve read from Exodus 25, we're going to talk about two pieces of furniture. Exciting, isn't it? Furniture. There is the table for the bread of the presence and a golden lampstand that holds seven lamps. These two pieces of furniture were intended to remind the people that God is their source of life, that all life flows from Him and is found in Him, that it is in His presence. That there is life we need to be reminded again and again and again that in Christ we have the covenant promise of the life-giving presence of God but it wasn't just to remind them so that they would have a cognitive awareness of this fact that God's presence is a life-giving presence it was reminding them so as to stir them up to stir up their affection and their their thankfulness and their joy in God who is the life-giving one And to humble them is to produce in in, in them humility, knowing that they cannot preserve their own lives. And to strengthen their faith in God as the life-giving one. You might ask, isn't that a bit much for just two pieces of furniture to do? I mean, aren't we asking them to do more than what they're capable of doing? After all, it's just a table and a lampstand. And the tables and lampstands in my house are They are maybe aesthetic, but they're also just mainly functional, to be used. Well, these two pieces of furniture also have aesthetic beauty. They're ornate, and they also have function. Look with me at Exodus 25, starting at verse 29. Exodus 25, 29, and 30, speaking of the table, it says, You shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons, that's its pitchers, and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So the table it has a function. It's to be used. You set things on it, just like our tables. And the lampstand is no different. Look at verse 37. Exodus 25 37. You shall make seven lamps for the lampstand, and the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. It's to give light, it's a functional use, so they could see to serve their Israelites and to worship Yahweh. Very functional. These these, these pieces of furniture were practical, but they were more than that. They were also symbolic. Symbolic. Look at verse 40. Exodus 25, 40 says, And see that you make them, that is the lampstand and its utensils, see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain, which echoes verse 9 of chapter 25. Exactly, God tells Moses, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, every piece from here on out, so you shall make it after the pattern of it. So that tells us that these pieces of furniture are actually being modeled a- after something else. They're just following the, the pattern of something else. They're the copies, the, the symbols of the real thing. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 8.5 that they, that is the priest, they serve a copy. In the tabernacle, they serve a copy, a shadow. We could say a symbol of the heavenly things. When they were dealing with the table for the bread of the presence, and they were lighting uh, the the lamps of the golden lampstand, they were just serving the copies, the symbols of the heavenly realities. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, that is the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Which is almost an exact quote from verse 40 and verse 9 of Exodus 25. These two pieces of furniture are practical, but they're more than that. They are symbolic, and as symbols they represent, they point to, they remind of heavenly realities, they remind the people of the life-giving presence of God. How do they first represent the presence of God? Well, the table represents and symbolizes the presence of God because of where it is. It's in the holy place of the tabernacle, which is the tent of meeting. It's not like a church building where we meet together as much as it is a, a place where the priests go to meet with God. God is there to meet with His people. It's the meeting house of God. It's a symbol of God's presence because it's where God dwells. But also because of the name of it and the name of the bread that is on it. Verse 30. And you shall set the bread of the presence. The presence of whom? The presence of God. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table. Listen, God says, before me regularly. I'm there, so set it in front of me. Put the bread on the table where I am, in my presence. And the lampstand is no different. The lampstand symbolizes the presence of God in part because of where it is, in the tent of meeting where God is present, but also because of how it is. It has a sacredness, a holiness to it. It is made of pure gold. The Ark of the Covenant and the table for the bread of the presence were overlaid with gold, both made of acacia wood. Well, this lampstand is of pure gold, 75 pounds of pure gold. And on it, they were to have olive oil, pure beaten olive oil, it says in 27, verse 20. The purity of it here representing the sacredness, the holiness, because God is present. And there are seven lamps on this lampstand. Seven, the number of completion, of perfection, of holiness, because God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, John says. And on top, there is an electric light, it's fire. The, the Hebrew word menorah is flame. And, and on top of the lampstand, there are seven flames being lit. And fire throughout the Bible, but especially in Exodus, often represents and symbolizes the presence of God. You see in Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, where it is not consumed, but it's set aflame. Or you have the pillar of cloud and of fire, where God dwells among His people, leading them and protecting them. Or on the mountain, Mount Sinai, there is fire where God is said to dwell among His people. And He calls up Moses to be into His presence where there is fire. These two pieces of furniture are symbols. And they symbolize, they represent the presence of God. But it's not just that God is present. It's what His presence means. Because these two pieces of furniture, the table for bread and the lampstand for light, were meant to remind them of the life-giving presence of God. To remind us that in Christ we have the covenant promise of the life-giving presence of God. It's in His presence that we have life. And it is life that we long for. It's life that we're obsessed with, that we're preoccupied after, seeking after. It is life that we were made for. So these symbolize the life-giving presence of God. It's life-giving. First we see that in verse thirty and you shall set the bread of the presence. It doesn't say you shall set the hammer of the presence. It doesn't say you shall set the diamond of the presence or the gold of the presence. Why bread? Because bread is life-giving. Bread sustains our life. We eat it to as to stay alive. And God gave them bread, bread from heaven. He provided for them. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray says, pray like this. Give us today our daily bread. Is that because we can only ask for bread? No. Does that mean bread is the only thing that can sustain us? No, it's a symbol. It's representing all of God's provision to give us and sustain our lives. Bread is life-giving. Leviticus chapter 24 tells us more of this bread. Leviticus 24 starting at verse 5. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it, Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord, twelve loaves, one for each of the tribes of Israel, symbolizing that God provides for all of His people, but not just all of them, but all of them all of the time. Look at verse 8, Leviticus 24, 8, every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly regularly that is there's is the idea of, of constancy the bread will always be there and every seven days he'll put new bread out but it will always be in contact with the table it is from the people of israel as a covenant forever god is constantly providing for them and so the bread is to be constantly on the table why as an offering to the lord acknowledging and and, and like a like a, like a, uh, a token thanking him God, all of our life has come from you. You give us all that we have. You are our provider. So we want to symbolize that. that You are the one who is present with us to give us life. But as they offer to God, does he eat it? Indeed not. Look at verse 9. Leviticus 24, 9. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. God doesn't eat it because he doesn't need it. He says, I know you're, you're honoring me by acknowledging that I am the life-giving one, but I want to continue that theme by giving you more life, giving it back to you. God is the living and life-giving God, not the life-receiving God. We don't meet His needs. He has none. He meets ours. He gives us life. The lampstand also symbolizes the life-giving presence of God. Look at verse 37 of Exodus 25. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Light. Light is life-giving. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the first thing He said, let it be, was, let there be light. And there was light. And before He made humans and animals and plants and trees, He made the sun. If we didn't have the sun, our world would be out of orbit. If we didn't have the sun, we would be frozen solid. If we didn't have the sun, there would not be any photosynthesis for our plants and our trees, for us and our animals to eat and for oxygen that we could breathe. We need the sunlight because it's life-giving. It's life-giving to our plants and our trees. And speaking of trees, that's what we have in this lampstand. Look at verse 31 of Exodus 25. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. <clears throat> the lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, listen to the words, its stem, its cups, its calyxes. A calyx is, is the green part that goes around the bud of a flower to protect it before it blooms. It says that it has its calyxes and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of each side, each one out of, each, out of its sides. What has branches but a tree? A tree. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Verse 33, three cups. Three cups made like almond blossoms, with each with calyx and flower one on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch, so for the six branches going out of the lampstand. To have this, these, these cup-like flowers that are blossomed, To have almond blossoms and calyxes and a stem and branches. This is symbolizing something of life. A a tree that gives life. Where have we seen that before? Remember, this is just a copy, a symbol of the heavenly reality. Well, a long time ago, heaven was on earth. There was a place called Eden. Eden where God dwelt with His people. And in the midst of Eden was a garden and in the midst of the garden there was a tree called the tree of life where God in his presence was life-giving to his people. And so in the tabernacle this golden lampstand is pointing backward to Eden and the tree of life. And it is pointing forward to the new creation where there is a tree of life waiting for us. Amen. Where there will be no temple or tabernacle because the whole earth will be the dwelling place of God. He will dwell with his people. And we will dwell with Him. And His presence will be life-giving. I, um, I skipped over about three or four pages here of content of, uh, uh, showing that this indeed is talking about the life-giving presence of God. But hopefully you can see from what we've talked about so far that what this is about It's clearly showing that. It's meant to remind us that God is present with His people and His presence is life-giving. Because in Christ... We have the covenant promise of the life-giving presence of God. But what does that look like? I mean, what does that look like in our everyday experience for God to be present with us and that presence to be life-giving? Does it mean that He gives us physical life? Indeed, it does. Job says in Job chapter 12, verse 10, In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Whereas as the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, that he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And in him we live and move and have our being. But this is true of everyone all the time. If someone is alive and being sustained, it's because God is doing it. His presence in general is sustaining and giving them life. But this promise, this covenant promise of God's life-giving presence was more than just a general promise to all human beings who are alive. It was a special promise to the people of God. You can read of this about Israel. I love this passage in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 19 through 21. The Levites are praising God. In Nehemiah 9:19, 9, they say, You in your great mercies, Speaking to God. Did not forsake them, your people, in the wilderness. That's what we read of in Exodus 25. They're in the tabernacle. They're in the wilderness. God, you didn't forsake them. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day. Nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. And did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And gave them water for the thirst. Their clothes... 40 years, verse 21, 40 years you sustained them, you gave them life in the wilderness. And they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. God, in a miraculous and special way for His covenant people, gave them physical life all throughout their wilderness wandering. But... As, as wonderful and as gracious as that was, that wasn't meant to be an end in itself. As though He gave them physical life for their 40 years and then the end. As though God, life comes from God, but not, is not also meant to be found in Him. You see, this wasn't just about God preserving their physical life. It was also and more so about promoting their spiritual life. Because they would all and we will all eventually die physically. But though outwardly wasting away inwardly, we can be renewed day by day so that even as Pastor Steve said last week, we can die with full of spiritual life. He's after our spiritual life. Well, what is spiritual life? Again, there are many, many aspects to this, but I want to just name four characteristics of spiritual life that we have from the presence of God. The first two are this, that in spiritual life there is both a quantity and a quality. A quantity and a quality. First you have the quantity. Look at Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 and 21. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. Remember, in the tabernacle, they had no windows, so there's no natural light. And they had no electricity, so how could they see to do the work that God had called them to do except by light from the lampstand? And it had to be regularly burning. One commentator said that if we see the tabernacle as God's house, and as in one sense it really was, then the holy of holies, the most holy place was like his bedroom, his intimate space. And the holy place was like his kitchen and living room together. And when the light is always on, it's reminding you that God is always home. He's always present with His people. The light was constantly on, always on. Verse 21, Exodus 27, And the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. They were to constantly keep the bread on the table even when they moved it. And they were constantly to keep the, uh, the, the lampstand burning with pure olive oil. Why constantly? Why forever, perpetually? Because that is how God is with His people. He's constantly and always present with them to give them life. This spiritual life has a quantity that does not end. He's constantly and will always give life to His people. This spiritual life is of full quantity, as John says in 1 John 5. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. That is life that has no end. It is everlasting in its quantity. But it's also full of quality. It's not just that you live forever, because guess what? Everyone lives forever. Not physically. We die. But spiritually, everyone will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. In the new creation, we will exist, both spiritually and physically, forever. Everyone will live somewhere. But this is not just about quantity, it's also about quality. It's about a meaningful life. Or as Jesus says in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly in measure and in quality. Have a meaningful life. And by meaningful, I I, I intend both, both meanings. You can have something that's meaningful, meaning it's valuable, it's important. There's substance and essence to it. There is significance to this life that God gives us. And indeed, it's the only significant and meaningful life. But I also mean, intend by the word meaningful, purposeful. If you mean for something to happen, you intend it. It has purpose. And God says, the life I want you to have is one that you live for the purpose for which it was given. To live life with great meaning then means to live on purpose. And what is that purpose? We exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our life has meaning and purpose when it's focused on Him. Which takes us to the second two characteristics of spiritual life. There's a quantity and a quality to it. But also, spiritual life comes from God and is in God. That is, God is both the source and the sustainer of life, but He's also the substance of it. He is the focus of spiritual life. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians 2. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, like I have a physical life, I'm alive, but he says, I live by faith. I have a spiritual life As I'm physically alive, I also am spiritually alive. And that spiritual life is by faith. And it's focused on God. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. To be in the life-giving presence of God means that the Father so loves us that He has given us His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him, whoever lives by faith in Him, shall not perish, won't have everlasting death, but will have eternal life. That God gives us spiritual life means that He has made us alive to God. Ephesians 2, Paul says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead to God. Spiritually, no connection, no living connection between you and God. You were dead to Him. But God, who is rich in mercy, by His great love with which He loved us, made us alive. He made us alive to Him. So our spiritual life is connected. To Him. It doesn't just come from Him. It's in Him. That God gives us spiritual life means that His Spirit helps our spirit to live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave Himself for us. That we have spiritual life then means that God's presence is like giving for us means that we have the promise, the confident, uh, confidence of His covenant promise that we have access to God. That we have acceptance by God. And that we have the activity of God that will constantly preserve and promote our spiritual life. Always. The kind of life that God has promised to give us is more meaningful, more abundant, more real life than anything and everything this world could ever offer you. This is real life. And all of it, all of it is in Christ. Because Paul says in Galatians 2, I live by faith, not just faith, I believe, and therefore that's okay, but I believe in God, and not just God in general, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So I say again, in Christ we have the covenant promise of the life-giving presence of God, and only in Christ. The bread on the table, the light on the lampstand, what do they symbolize? The life-giving presence of God in Jesus. God's covenant promises have been secured by Jesus. God's covenant promise of His life-giving presence can be accessed only through faith in Jesus. He is the bread of heaven, the bread of God, the bread of life. John 6 is probably one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I encourage you maybe just to get time to read it today, the whole chapter. I don't want to read for you though just a few verses, 31 to 35 of John 6. Some of the crowd come to Jesus and say, basically, what have you got for us? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Like, what are you going to give us, Jesus? Jesus said to them, "Uh, let me correct you first. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. God gave it through Moses. But then he turns it and he says, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Like that was just a symbol. Let me tell you the substance, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is a person. He said, it's He who comes down from heaven and gives life. He's the life-giving one. He gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. When you read in John 6, and it says, whoever follows Me or comes to Me, or even later He says, whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood, all these are, are metaphors for trusting Him for believing in Him, for embracing Him with faith, for living by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave Himself for us. He is the bread of life. He's also the light of life. He's the light of life. Where Jesus says in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Not just the light of the tabernacle, mind you. I'm the light of that, yes, but I'm the light of the whole world. Whoever follows me, he focus say, focus your faith on me, Jesus says. will not walk in darkness, the darkness of ignorance, or the darkness uh, of sorrow, the darkness of sin, or the darkness of death, he says, no, but they will have light, and that light will be the light of life itself. A life that has a quantity that never ends. A life that has a quality that is better than anything you can imagine. A life that is from God and is found in God. And it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the covenant promise of the life-giving presence of God. It is only in Jesus, by His grace, through faith in Him, that we have the covenant promise from God that He will be present with us to give us life now and always. You might wonder, though, but Jason, don't you mean that He'll give us that kind of life one day? Well, in... 1 John 5, he, he, he tells us that this life is, is, we have eternal life if we have Jesus. He doesn't just say you will have eternal life if you have Jesus. He says, he who has the Son has life. So it's both later, but it's also now. But we don't always feel it. I mean, if we are truly alive, we don't always feel alive to God. Even as Christians, we don't always feel alive to God. We don't always feel that He is present with us, let alone that His presence is life-giving. And even if we can say, yeah, I believe that God is with me, and His, his presence is life-giving, we don't always sense the absolute wonder of such a promise. Why is that? Why is it that if we constantly have the assurance of acceptance by God and access to God and the promise of His activity for us to preserve and promote our lives, why is it that we don't feel the experience of divine life surging through us all the time? Because I don't think that's anybody's experience, really. We don't always feel that, do we? If you want to know why, you might not like my answer. It may be the reason why is because you have not been pursuing life in God but pursuing it elsewhere. Maybe you have been pursuing life outside of Him, foolishly thinking that there is life outside of Jesus Christ. I I can have my Christianity here, but there is a world of life out there and not seeing how all-encompassing He is. But that would be a fool's errand because there is no life outside of Jesus Christ not real meaningful life life is not in your money or stuff it's not life is not in comfort or pleasure life is not in entertainment or traveling or success or popularity or fame it's just not there are there are millions or billions of people who seek after these things and they are dead inside They are dead to God and have no real life. Don't believe that lie. But even good things, like relationships with your family and and with your friends, that's not where life is. Life is not even in doing good things like giving and serving and ministry to others. That's not where life is. Because listen to me, you may have very few friends and you may have really little to nothing to speak of and by way of family. And you can still have abundant life. You may have nothing to give others by way of stuff or money. You may have very little opportunities to serve others or your platform for ministry may be teeny tiny. And God says you can still have a magnificently meaningful life. Now, the presence of all these things like Comfort and money and relationships, success and family and ministry and serving. They're not bad in and of themselves necessarily. But neither can they guarantee you life. And sometimes they can get in your way. They can serve as a substitute. And Satan says, see, life is here. Just go after it. You no, know, I, I I think we must remember that life God gives life often through lots of different means, but He doesn't need any of them. Life is only in the presence of God. Okay, but, but let's say you have not really been looking for life el- elsewhere. You've not been abandoning Christ to search for life in all these other ways. Good. Then you say, okay, but then why is it that I still don't feel this spiritual life surging through me? It is only because of our sinful lack of faith that anyone seeks for life outside of God. It is only because of our sinful lack of faith that anyone, even Christians, doubt the unbreakable promise secured by Jesus that He will be present with us to give us life. We doubt that at times. It's only because of our sinful lack of faith that we do so. But you know, we as sinners in a fallen world, we have the Twisted ability to be in the very presence of life himself and not feel alive. We can sing a song or read a, a living word and not feel alive. God can work in us and for us and through us and we feel no connection. That's possible. Now it can be, I want to be careful here because it can be, that you are seeking for God. Seeking life in Him. And you're not searching elsewhere. And God, sometimes, He hides the sense of His presence and His life-givingness from His people for a time. He does this at times, I think, to, to stretch, to test, and to strengthen our faith. To see, are you, are you just trusting in the feeling of this? Or me and my promises? So it's possible to do all the right things and pursue Him and still not feel life surging through you. And yet, I'm convinced that very, maybe most often, the reason why we don't feel life is because we're not seeking Him in faith. It may not be that you are searching for life elsewhere, but it cannot be that He has failed to keep His promise. Our sin... And our lack of faith in Him is sin, by the way. Paul says in 1 in, uh, Corinthians that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Our sin, as Christians, cannot diminish God's trustworthiness. Our sin cannot destroy His covenant promises. But listen, our sin can and does diminish our ability to trust Him most fully. Our sin as Christians, cannot diminish God's acceptance of us or our access to Him or His activity for our good to preserve and promote our life. But our sin can and does diminish our affection for Him, our passionate pursuit of Him, and our worship of Him. So often it's not Him, it's us. His life-giving presence with and for His people is constant. Which is why they had to constantly keep the bread on the table and the oil in the lamps lit. Because God's provision of His presence of life is constant. However, our being confident of this, our being thankful for it, our being humbled by, overwhelmed with, and awe over and worshipful to God in this, in response to His life-giving presence, is not constant. Is it? Our response is, Ebbs and flows, it wanes and it waxes. This is because, in many respects, our response to his life giving presence is only as constant as our faith filled pursuit of him. God's life giving presence is constant, but our awareness of it, our awareness of him is not. Our resting in him, our rejoicing in him is not. And that's mainly dependent upon our intentional focus on him and faith. That's what we talked about this whole past week in Kids Bible Club. Who here was a part of Kids Bible Club this past week? Okay. We talked about focusing on God, remember? Taking a closer look to focus on God. And we said that there are five main ways, simple ways that God has given us in this book, the Bible, for how to do that. It's not just for kids, it's for everyone. How do you focus on the invisible God? You look at what you can see in creation because it it is telling the truth. It is screaming, God made me. And we see something of His divine attributes when we look at what He's made. Second, we, we listen to the invisible God by hearing from Him in His Word. Third, we focus on God by being and learning with the community of faith. What you should be saying every Sunday in these songs and in these prayers and in this preaching of this Word is God is present giving me life. And this is meant for me to focus on Him because life is me focusing on Him in faith. Fourth, we can focus on God. We've talked about by, by praying to Him. We can pray about anything, anytime, anywhere. Focusing on God, asking Him to help us to live by faith. And lastly, we focus on God by living for Him. We live for Him by honoring Him in our love for others. This is how we focus on God, the life-giving One. My question to you is, are you intentionally focusing on Him? Are you pursuing intentionally, in faith, this kind of God-focused life? Like Aaron and his sons with the bread and the lamps, are you regularly and eagerly and in faith tending to the prescribed means that God has given us for worshiping and focusing on Him, the life-giving one? When your soul seems to shrivel and your heart seems cold and your mind is dull and your weak is faith, is it because God has stopped giving life? Is Is it because God has stopped being present with you? Is it because he has broken his covenant promise made in Jesus Christ to always be the life-giving one with you, for you? By no means. By no means. Or is it because you have been failing to pursue him in faith as he has called you to? Most often. These furnishings of the tabernacle, like the table of bread and lampstand of fire, They were meant to remind the people of of, of God that He regularly was with them. It wasn't just to remind them regularly of the objective truth of His life-giving presence, but also to remind them and to stir up within them a sense of wonder at the glory and grace of such a covenant promise. So that that, that they would turn and live differently. Their response to Him, the life-giving one, would be one of worship with humble and faith-filled thankfulness. So many things threaten our lives. And I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. Every day we are walking this path of the valley of the shadow of death. Every day. Our spiritual life is constantly being threatened. And so what we need are regular reminders that the source and sustainer and the substance of our life is God. God. We need to live by faith, not by sight. Live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave Himself for us. We need regular reminders of this and we need regular exhortations to do this. To actively look to God. To actively focus on Him with faith in Jesus. Because in Christ, we have the covenant promise of life-giving presence of God. You know the beautiful and the powerful grace of this communion meal is that it is both a regular reminder and a regular exhortation to look to God in Jesus Christ to give us life-giving presence. The bread that was on the table for the bread of presence was a kind of covenant meal, constantly reminding them and reassuring them that God does indeed accept them and give access to of Himself to them, and He's promised His activity, His life-giving activity for them. And this covenant meal of communion each week does the exact same thing. It reminds us and reassures us of the life-giving presence of God that comes by faith in Christ. But the difference between that meal and this meal is that Aaron and his sons were the only ones who could eat it. But this meal is for New Covenant Christians. And in the New Covenant, this is a kingdom of priests. We all get to eat of Christ. We all get to uh, find, take, partake of His life. We all get to partake of this covenant meal. <clears throat> that is all who are in Christ. You know, if I were to go around the room and ask, though, I bet many of you could tell me of a near-death experience. And some of you may be near have been nearer to death than others, but the fact that you're here and alive means that you didn't actually die, you were just near death. <clears throat> if I could use this as a metaphor for a moment. My sense and my fear is that there are also many who have only had near-life experiences here. You've been near life because you've grown up in church. You've been near life because you've heard about Jesus all your life. You've been near G- uh, life because you've been uh, uh, taught in this book or you are, are now a child and you're doing family worship at home or you go to a kid's Bible club and, you, and you're near life but you're not actually in it because you're not actually trusting in Jesus. Having a near life experience might feel good for a moment but then it dissipates, it goes away and it cannot, a near life experience cannot undo the fact that you are spiritually dead to God. You need a real-life experience. And that comes only by the Spirit of God, by His grace, with your faith focused on Jesus, the Son of God who loves you and gave Himself for you. So if that's not you this morning, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, living by faith in Him, don't partake of communion. Don't partake of this when others do. It's not yet for you. But bow your head, close your eyes, maybe get on your knees and beg God to give you a sense of your need for Him and of the all-sufficient grace in Jesus. And for those of you who are living by faith in Jesus, I invite you to take your communion cup and take out the wafer. That is like the bread, the bread of the presence. It is like the bread, not just that it's symbolized there, but pointing to Jesus, the real substance, that He is the bread of life. And take it with faith in Him. In the same way, take the juice. It represents the the blood of Jesus. It was poured out for sinners like us on the cross. That by his life and then by his death, by his resurrection, ascension, and return, we will not only now
0: but always have the promise of a life-giving presence of God.